You are listening to The Fox, a podcast novel written and read by Arlene Radaski. Chapter 14, Ain, May, 2005 I jerked awake knowing I would have to fight my way out of here. I'd behaved and was a good patient for a week, but I decided to rebel and was itching to go. Mark had been restricting my movements, but no more. I was vacating this inn today. George had received a grant for us several days ago. It was enough for us to stay for the rest of the summer. Things were changing at the site, and I wanted to see it. I'd been cooped up in here too long. My room was littered with clothes. Jeans and button-up shirts were strewn across the floor and bed, all too hard to put on. I finally surrendered and with great trouble pulled on a sweatpants and a T-shirt. I couldn't even get a bra on. It hurt too much to twist and reach behind yet. Mark walked in, just as I finished dressing, carrying a cup of steaming coffee. Ain, what are you doing? His forehead creased with concern, his tone gentle yet impatient. You're not supposed to be going anywhere. The doctor told you to rest. I think you should be inside at least a few more days. Yeah, Mark, I know. But I have to go to the job site. I want to see it. It seems like weeks that I've been away. That coffee smells delicious. Can I have a sip? I took the hot cup from his outstretched hand and sniffed the adrenaline-starting steam. Mmm! How can someone who doesn't drink coffee make it so perfect? Well, said Mark, you aren't a coffee gourmet, and she makes it strong, just like you want it. If you stay here one more day, I'll have her make you coffee all day long. No, even that isn't enough to keep me here. If you make me stay, I'll tunnel out. I really want to go see what you all have been doing to my dig. He compromised. Ah, oh, well, okay, but promise me, if you feel the least bit tired, you'll let us bring you back. I endeavored to finish dressing, but couldn't lift my arm over my head without pain. I tried to hide my grimacing face in the sweatshirt. I didn't want him to see how much it still hurt to move. Oh, damn it, Mark. Can you help me, please? I sighed and stopped struggling. I'll be careful. It's been seven days and I can't stand the inside of this room or any room in the inn anymore. I promise not to do anything strenuous, I said, sweatshirt piled in my lap. I hope not. Even your feet were bruised. I don't know how. The cave-in didn't bury them. It must have happened when we pulled you out. You were complaining about them the first night in the hospital, so I slipped the sheet off and saw that they were bruised. When I saw your toes, you know, the super long second toe, I remember teasing you about it when we were at university. I looked down at my bare feet and waved my toes in the air for him to see. Yep, the McCray toe. Pretty neat, huh? It's in the family jeans, or should I say, on our feet. Mark grabbed my sweatshirt and lifted it so I could get my hand inside. It slid on and I gently eased it over my sore shoulder. Thanks, finally, real clothes. I'm surprised they still fit. Mrs. Dingleberry must think that to feed is to heal. I've probably gained five pounds. I could see Mark's keen blue eyes peruse my body. Chills ran up and down my back 
and other places. I had to concentrate on getting outside or we wouldn't be going anywhere, even if I were still sore. My body wanted him and a debate was going on in my mind. Nope, I don't see anything that shouldn't be there. You look just as tempting as before, he said, and kissed me gently on the tip of my nose and then my ear. I closed my eyes and wished he would continue, but after taking a deep breath, my resolve strengthened. I slipped on my loafers and ushered Mark to the door. Have the results from the urn come back yet from Glasgow? I gingerly followed Mark down the short hall. George had called Jim Cowley, an osteoarchaeologist and friend, when he realized I was going to be okay. He paid for a helicopter to pick up the bronze bowl and what we hoped were human remains while I was in the hospital in Fort William. They were flown to the Scottish University's Research and Reactor Center in Glasgow for Jim to analyze. No, we put in a rush order. The lab's been running some recalibrating tests. They haven't started any new work and won't for the next week. I called yesterday. Jimmy told me the remains would be tested as soon as they're done. A week? Another week? Oh, bloody hell. I don't think I'm going to be able to wait that long. God, I said, shaking my head. Am I glad I wrote down my impressions after the awake dream I had when we were together? I reread them yesterday. I had forgotten so many details since the accident. That shouldn't be a surprise, Ain. Your injury was deadly serious. Mark stopped on the landing of the narrow staircase and turned to me. I would have been just sick if you had been critically injured, or worse, Ain. You have to promise me to be more careful. I don't ever want to feel so helpless again. I slipped my arms through his and hugged as well as I could with the still bruised ribs. I know, Mark. I'm sorry. I'll try not to put you in that position again. I like having you here. This week would have been a lot worse if you hadn't been here to play gin rummy with me and tuck me in. I pecked his cheek with a kiss. You know, I'm glad you talked me into staying, and I'm glad you found the ball, even if you say you had help from a ghost. I'm happy to be here with you. My heart raced at his comments. He was happy to be here with me, but bringing up Jana, even in that teasing mode, gave me chills. She was waiting for me and getting impatient. That was one reason I had to go today. She had something else for me to see. He paused as we made our way downstairs. Oh, we did date the pottery. I stopped and turned to him, hoping for the information I had been praying for. We got a date of 80 A.D. plus or minus 15 years, he said. I know you were looking for a pre-Roman site, and it looks like we have one. Remember the lump of metal you went back into the cave for? It looks like it's a bronze clasp or pin with a head in the shape of an acorn and a bronze bracelet. The pin was probably a cloak clasp. Wahoo! The year is perfect! I gloried briefly in the moment and grinned at him. Oh, yes, this was going to be a very good day. I could feel it. Is there any food left? I need breakfast, I said and walked as quickly as my back would let me. My back ached and I hung onto the glossy oiled balustrade for balance. Mark trailed behind. Mrs. Dingleberry had insisted I eat breakfast and dinner in my room. It had been days since I had been in the dining room while food was being served. My mouth watered as I entered and smelled the bacon and coffee. This was Mrs. Dingleberry's heaven. Cooking and cleaning was her forte. Nursing was not. I had eaten well while recuperating, but she just barely tolerated having me around all day. 
Guests weren't meant to be here unless it was mealtime or bedtime. I'm afraid I caused her some schedule upset. Today she would be rid of me for most of the day, and I could imagine her oiling and polishing to her heart's content. I smelled the lemon oil along with her delightful breakfast. George, good morning. Hi, Tim, Lori. Good to see all of you. Ain, they chorused as they twisted in their chairs to see me. Congratulations on the funding. Good to see you out of bed. George, you're my savior. Thank you for talking to the powers that be and securing the money. Mark told me you were also using some of your grant money to fund us. We'll pay you back. My heart is touched by your trust in me. You're welcome. But the news that brought university money to you, of course, was the Raven Bowl. My influence played a small part in the decision. The Raven Bowl? I asked, looking at Mark. That's what the press is calling the bronze bowl you found. We don't know what's in it, but the beauty of the bowl is enough to bring attention up here. The lab started spreading the word, Mark returned. Wow, the Raven Bowl. Oh, it's good. I like that. I knew Jonna would have liked it, too. George stood up, walked over to me, and kissed my cheek. His nose was perpetually wrinkled from keeping his gold-rimmed glasses on. He was balding, it seemed more, since my accident. He ran his hand over his head as a nervous habit, and it looked as if he had rubbed most of his hair away. He was rubbing it right now. I was wondering, when you were going to get out of bed, are you going to stay downstairs today? I have some reports you can read to catch up. There's a great reading chair in the library. Actually, George, Mrs. Dingleberry and I have already walked through every room here in the inn that I'm allowed into. She won't let me alone until she was sure I wouldn't keel over in her parlor. Mrs. Dingleberry scurried in at that moment with a tray of warm scones and scowled. Do you see that puzzle set up on the table over there? I pointed across the room. I've been working on it for two days while you were at the dig. I even helped Mrs. Dingleberry dust the furniture. She wants me out of here. She's had me walking up and down at least two sets of stairs and three rounds of the rooms for two days now to strengthen my legs. I'm going stir-crazy. I am going to the hill today. I noticed Mrs. Dingleberry quivering, probably with happiness at having me out from underfoot. She turned from the buffet she was loading with more food and said, I must go into town today and was going to ask one of ye to stay with the lassie. She's fine. George looked at me, Mrs. Dingleberry, and then turned and looked at Mark. What? You've gone and jumped over the gunnels on this one. This injured woman can't go to the site, he harumphed. I tried to calm him. I've already promised Mark I wouldn't do anything to get in your way. I just want to walk around and see what you found. Lori reached in front of me to get the butter for her warm scone. We found some more post holes and a fire pit. We have a coal layer and we think we're in the center of a dwelling, she said, ready to take a bite of her scone. It's near the southern walls next to the double gate. I looked at Mark with raised eyebrows. Is this a domicile? He nodded slightly. We were so close. I could feel her. My neck tingled. I thought that the feelings and dreams would end when I found where she was buried. But yesterday, as I looked out the window toward the hill, I had a feeling that I had to go to the site today. I couldn't shake it. My gut was telling me that it was urgent that I get to the hill. 
My shoulder was aching, and I could feel my back trying to spasm, but damn it, I was going. Mrs. Dingleberry, your coffee is perfect this morning. Thank you. Mark, would you please pass more of those wonderful currant bannocks? Oh, and the butter? I asked. Mark watched me eat with an amused grin. I could swear he was waiting for me to burst out of my clothes. After breakfast, they jumped into the jeep and I eased myself in over George's protests. Okay, George, I'll take a pillow to lean against. I think Mrs. Dingleberry will let us take the rose-patterned one in the dining room. As we bounced along the farm road, me sitting against the rose pillow, I remembered the last time I came this way seven days ago. The dream was in my head from the night before. I could feel Jonna at my elbow directing me. I had found her tomb that day and had almost found mine. We arrived and I felt as if I'd come home. I was amazed as I looked around the site. George and Mark had called in more workers and there were 15 people here now. I was involved in discussions about the increase back at the inn but was not expecting to see them here yet. It re-emphasized how long I had been gone. There were several people on the east side with sonar equipment looking for disturbances deep in the soil. To the west, I saw surveyors staking plots for further digging. On the trail, a crew worked on the cave where I had been trapped. A larger tent had been raised for meals and laying out artifacts to photograph and catalog. It also contained a stockpile of supplies, snacks, and water. It looked as if we planned to stay a while. I inhaled the odor of freshly overturned earth, the intoxicating smell of my work, smiled, gingerly slid out of the jeep and limped to Kendi and Matt. Mark and George had registered the site with the West of Scotland Archaeology Service. That meant the news would spread and Matt and Kendi had volunteered to be on site at night. The world around a dig tends to start coming to look and take anything that isn't nailed down once a site was registered. We would hire security guards as soon as I could afford it, and I notified the local police. They couldn't make a regular stop but were aware we were here. When the security did come, soon I hoped, Matt and Candy could go back to sleeping in a real bed. The looks on their faces told me they really didn't care where they slept, as long as it was together. I wished I could be that young again and have a fresh start to my life. Although, I have to admit, my start so far with Mark was pleasing. I smiled with the memory of our one recent night of lovemaking. I see the presses here, I said, and nodded toward the tent. I wanted to avoid them. Oh, no problem, said Matt. They stay inside, protected from the always expected showers. We hardly ever see them. The reporters were as anxious about the carbon dating and material composite results as we were, and would send the results to the local papers and the archaeological societies. Bronze bowls were news in both circles. I was pleased, even with the extra work and money spent on guards, that news of our find, my find, was making it out to the world. I wondered how many cameras would show up if there turned out to be a cremated human body in the bowl. Matt laughed and said, Ain, you are looking good for being so close to becoming one of our artifacts. Kendi poked him in the ribs, frowned at him, and said, Seriously, Ain, should you be here? You look as if you still hurt a bit. I tried to wave her comment off, but George looked at me with his I told you so look, and then walked away. I shrugged my good shoulder. I have to admit that I'm not feeling as good as I was a week ago, but wild pigs couldn't keep me away for another day. Wow, we look legitimate now. It's amazing what an increase in funding can do. I turned to Kendi, who was still standing near me, and said, 
Candy, please show me what you have. I haven't seen your drawings for at least seven days. Tim and Matt picked up trowels and sifters and stepped into the ever-increasing hole. Mark trudged back to the jeep to get his computer, and George was off to direct the surveyors, I'm sure to their dismay. I'd love to. It's so much fun being here at the beginning of things. We've several structure outlines already plotted, and I've had a bit of fun with them. I needed something to do while Matt and I were stuck out here, grinning crookedly at me. She opened her sketchbook. As she leafed through it, I could see the drawings she'd made before my accident. She had different views of the cave and the way it looked before the slide. My mouth went dry with the memory of the mountain falling on top of me. My bruises seemed to step up their demand to be noticed. Then she turned the page. They had found more post holes and she drew them just as they looked in the excavation. But there was more. I drew this one for fun to give us an idea of what this village might have looked like. It keeps me motivated to remember these aren't just holes in the ground. They were homes and places of work. The drawing was a composite of the total excavation site, the structure in front of us with the fire pit in the middle, other structures that were being uncovered, and those we might uncover later. She superimposed a half-sphere built with a short circular stone wall, about 14 inches high, continuing to the roof in wooden planks and mud or wattle and daub for each of the excavation sites. The roofs were thatched. It looks as if she had been sitting in the courtyard of the fort while it was being lived in. And it looked familiar. Oh, did anyone tell you that we found pieces of quartz in three of the post holes that are at the back of this structure? She asked absent-mindedly. We found the stone from the walls scattered all around, as you would expect. We were charting and removing them when I noticed one of the post holes had a flat stone in the bottom. I lifted it to find a piece of white quartz under it. It looked deliberate enough to raise my curiosity. We found the same flat stones in two other holes with quartz under them also. The flat stones look like river stones, but the quartz isn't found around here. They seem to be an offering to a god or goddess. Have you ever seen them before, Ain? My legs went wobbly, but not from my injuries. I grabbed the back of a camp chair that was near the edge of the excavation and sat down. No, I've never seen it before in a dig. I've seen it, but I can't tell you where, I thought, or you'd think I was crazy. Go get that chair and come sit beside me, I said, pointing to another camp chair at the side of the tent. I looked at the actual excavation and backed at the picture. There it was. The pattern of the post holes and the stone wall of the structure led to the defense wall and touched it. It wasn't a round circle. It created an alcove of sorts. That and the quartz made it jump out at me. We were in Jana's home, I thought. We had found her home. Trying to sound calm, I said, Candy, look at the post holes toward the back of the structure, pointing to the excavation. They don't go all the way around, but in this picture you have drawn them in as if they do, handing her sketchbook back to her. Yes, I see that. I was supposing the rest of the holes would be uncovered, maybe today. I'll bet there won't be any more holes uncovered for this structure. I have a feeling. This structure didn't stay round, but took this jog to join with the fence. Look, it could create a private alcove by hanging a blanket, one of the first private bedrooms in Scotland. Well, Ain, she said, looking at me out of the side of her eyes, no one should ever say you don't have a good imagination. I smiled at her and looked back at the drawing with déjà vu. Mr. Treadwell walked up to Kendi and me just at that moment. Good morning, 
I said. About five foot six inches tall, I was sure he had been taller as a young man. But now age and hard work had caused his body to disfigure with arthritis. He still carried the rugged look of one who has worked outdoors all his life. His white hair tufted just above both ears, and he was clean-shaven. His watery blue eyes had seen too many days in the sun, and deep lifelines creased his face. His muddy boots were least twenty years old, and he smelled of tobacco and scotch. His voice lilted with a strong highland mark, and it made me feel as if I were home on sky. "'Good morning, lassie. I ken you were here. I would appreciate it if you did not scamper into any more caves. I would like not having anyone kilt on my land.' I noticed he was serious. "'Candy, would you mind if I spoke with Mr. Treadwell for a few minutes? I'll look at the rest of your pictures later.' I requested. No problem. I have to get back to work. You can find me here when you're ready. Candy looked relieved as she picked up her drawing pencils and notepad, slipped down into the dig near the newly excavated fire pit, and proceeded to draw the layers Matt and Tim were uncovering. Mr. Treadwell, I hope not to have to go into a cave again for a very long time, I replied, knowing in my heart I would go into another one in a heartbeat if I thought something was there. Would you give me a hand up, please? I would like to take a short walk with you. Mr. Treadwell extended his arthritis-bent hands, and I took one as gently as I could. As I started to pull myself up, I began to twist my back. Oh, ouch! Oh, that hurts! I sat back down into the chair, tears just squeezing out of the corners of my eyes. Ah, said Mr. Treadwell. He dropped my hands as if they were on fire and backed up five steps. Mark heard me, quickly stood up and put his computer on the table. He walked over and before he could say anything, I frowned at him to show my determination. He faced me, grasped my upraised arms and helped me stand up straight. Much better. I saw a returned frown in his eyes. Thanks for helping me, Mark, I said with a grimace I hoped looked like a smile. Plainly concerned, he quietly said, Ain, you need to go back. I'll have Tim take off and drive you. I told you it was too early for you to come here. No, I promise not to do anything that strenuous again. I just want to take a short walk with Mr. Treadwell, I said and leaned against him until I caught my breath. Okay, but only if you promise not to go off the hill unless one of us is with you. We don't need any more repeats of last week. Scout's honor, I won't. I'm a big girl, Mark. I can take care of myself. Looking worried, he countered. Yes, but I can still worry. His strong arms supported me, and I was comfortable and secure in them. This is where I should be. I hugged him as well as I could without wincing, and with my cheek against his, I whispered, Mark, I owe you my life. I love you. I wouldn't do anything to hurt you, but I can't live my life in a bowl. I promise to be as careful as I can. I turned to Mr. Treadwell, who watched the conversation with a humorless face, and said, Mr. Treadwell, let's take a stroll. I offered him my arm. Mark watched with concern as Mr. Treadwell and I limped off. Mr. Treadwell's arm protectively undermined for support, although I wasn't sure who supported whom. I looked back at Mark to tell him I was in good hands. He stood there, watching us, shaking his head. As we walked, we looked out over the pasture where several head of long-haired highland cattle were grazing, and then at the mountain where I'd found the grave. I stared at it, not breathing for a long moment. 
That mountain almost took my life. I shook my head to shake the memory of the accident away and turned, searched the surrounding skyline, and noticed three tree-covered hills. They were alone, standing as if they were sentinels. Do those hills have a local name? Aye, they are the Benrin. They are the three Celt goddesses that become one. It is said the hills remember the Ald Picts. Ah, the Queen Hills, named for the Queen Goddess Morigna, the goddess of fertility and war. Interesting combination, wasn't she? Her favorite was the raven. I looked up into the blue sky, empty except for the scattered cotton-ball clouds. I seemed to remember it peppered with ravens. Aye, ravens roost in the trees on those hills. They're here at harvest. They're lucky for us, like the ravens in the Tower of London. We say our town will have ill luck if the ravens don't come back every year. We look for them to come. I know what you mean. We need all the luck we can get these days. I noticed a depression in the middle of the pasture just below us. There were trenches cut into the pasture. Are you cutting peat, Mr. Treadwell? Aye, lassie. I use it in the longer winters when fuel prices are dear. To position myself in the memory of my awake dreams, I turned to look behind us, to the place on the hill where I thought the gate would be in the defense wall, and turned back to the pasture. Mr. Treadwell, was there a lake here once? Oh, aye. My father said my great-grandfather drained a wetland to create a pasture, bad as it is. It was called Loch Tube, or Black Lake. He paused. I imagined his ancestors standing on top of this hill we were now excavating and looking at the area, deciding how to drain it. Most of the year the ground is still wet and full of sinkholes. I cannot let the cattle run on it but a few months of the year. The few I have there now are sure-footed and will be canny of the bogs. There's a story about it if you're interested, lassie. Tis a ghost story. Would you like to hear it? Yes, please. I would love to. There was a grand battle between the Romans and the Picts near here, using his chin to point in a faraway direction. I figured he was referring to the Battle of Mons Gropius of A.D. 84. He continued, They supposedly sacrificed a druid near here to keep it from happening. It's told he still walks here. He turned and studied my eyes with a look that chilled me. Lassie, ye must swear never to speak of this. I raised my hand and promised. Quietly, as if he were in a church, he went on. I saw him, one November morning, kneeling at the edge where the lock used to be. He was praying, or at least I took him to be a-praying. His arms were raised to the sky. The tartan was on his shoulders, and he had a proud straight back, a figure in the corner of my eye. I turned, he was gone, and a big fox was sitting there, right there where the man stood. He ran off when my eyes caught his. His whole body shifted closer to me as he whispered, Others would laugh, but that's what I saw. Mr. Treadwell, I believe you. I've seen ghosts, too. He looked back at me with understanding in his liquid blue eyes. I suddenly had the most overwhelming feeling of dread. It felt as if the air around me were filled with water. I could barely breathe and began to double up. I couldn't stay on the hill any more. After arguing so hard to get here, I had to get away. Are ye all right, lassie? Yes, please. Oh, let me lean on your arm to the jeep, and then, and then if you would get Mark and, and let him know I'd like to go back. I think I need to get out of their way for the rest of today, Mr. Treadwell. 
I'm very glad you came up here today. Thank you. Thank you very much for telling me your story. You don't know how much it means to me. I leaned on him and felt his strength belying his age as he walked and supported me, limping to the jeep. Tim drove me back to the inn, trying to avoid the bumps in the road. All the way back I thought about Mr. Treadwell's ghost and wondered why I'd had that reaction at the telling of his story. Just what I needed another ghost in my life. The ghost of a man that turned into a fox. Please join me again for another chapter of The Fox by Arlene Radaski. Now enjoy the music of Steve McDonald's song, Flodden Field, from the album Legend. His music can be found at www.etherian.com, E-T-H-E-R-E-A-N, who along with Steve have allowed me to use the music in my podcasts. Learn more about The Fox at www.radasky.com. Within the tears you cry Lay 
Must stay here. 